Check, check, check. Give me a check one, too. Hey, how you doing? What's up, man? Uh, you know, I'm just chilling, man. I'm over here doing my thing, drinking some Good. water, trying to stay hydrated myself. Uh, per- oh, uh, it's the Heavy Hole Podcast. I'm Big Will, a.k.a. Uncle Buck. Uh, my co-host this evening is the uh, the illustrious, lavender-scented Rick Habib of hey. uh, Reeking Or. But my, all, all disclosure, my bandmate, my co-host, and my friend. How are you, sir? How you doing there, buddy Bill? I'm uh, hanging in there. As much as well as possible at this point. Yeah, yeah, buddy Bill. Yeah, man. Um, you, yeah, you, you you brought together a beautiful recommendation, man. We'll get to that later. Um, but I I saw you last, uh, in person. We had a beautiful event over there at the old St. Vitus uh, establishment. Um, yeah, it was about a week and a half ago, two weeks ago. At this point, yeah, it feels like a, we were just saying before we started. It feels like a lifetime ago. Like things are moving fast. It's crazy, man. Yeah, it's it's like a, it's a, it was a couple of seasons ago already. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, Outer Heaven, uh, uh, beautiful band, uh, horrendous, beautiful band. Um, that was a, a wonderful evening there. Uh, we appreciate being on. There. Everybody bought merch. That was a good look. Um, it was yeah, great. that was a great. That was a great night at Vitus for us. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Shout out to uh, Hudson, young Hudson of Trog, uh, filling in on drums there for Reeking Or. Man, he did a beautiful job there. We got to plug Trog. Yeah, man, Trog is uh, no joke. He hooked me up with the uh, long sleeve too, so oh. I got I'm gonna rock that one of these days. You, uh, you are you. You have gone down a few shirt sizes. We've we've, t- we've talked about this. Yeah, so so I'm able to. Uh, I'm able to acquire some more merch than I used to. Yeah, I got to. I wasn't gonna go here, man. I was telling him I won't say the band. <laughs> mm, hold on a second, you know, because this is gonna veer off of Trog. I don't want Trog to have this energy. All right, shout out to Hudson. Mm-hmm. Hudson, they're nice guys. I met the. I met some of the guys from from Hudson, his crew, and Trog. Uh, Tom, could you please drop a little Trog in there, sir? Okay, we're back. Shout out to Trog. Peep them. Thank you to Hudson. All right, so we talked about the shirt sizes, man. I lost a, I lost a little bit of weight. I'm not like, I lost like, you know, a couple of, like, like I took a piss kind of like, you know, I lost mm-hmm. a little bit of weight. Um, Doing a little bit of hiking, walking, fat guy exercise lately, all right? I'm not, not pushing it, all right? Um, uh, That heart rate on. Here's, <laughs> you know, here's what we're talking. Because you talked about the shirt size. You said I could buy more merch. Oh, they played me at a show recently, man. I was not going to say with band or the show. I was at a show. It was a band I like, an OG band. And I go up to the merch table, and uh, and I, I pop the question, Mr. Personality behind the merch table. There, I go, hey, man, long shot question, but you got any any T-shirts size 4X? He's got like eight designs of shirts up there, boxes and boxes of T-shirts. Sometimes they got a big boy size or two left over. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's happened. Eight designs. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, man. Shout to Goat Whore. You know, shout to the, shout to the beautiful bands. I do gird my loins with their with their t shirts. Um, but yeah, so I, you know, guy, he didn't even give me the dignity of a verbal response. He just went like that. I wish the listeners could see this. He just goes like this. 
like shakes his head like no way buddy like looked yeah like literally just looked at me like you fat fuck move away so i could sell another couple of these vinyls (laughs) oh my god i all right but enough about that but but yeah i gotta do um Reacts is usually pushing it at the shows, man. You can get yeah, yeah. you can get a three XL. I when I used to buy the three XLs, I used to once in a while would score, but uh, it well, wasn't you know. This is a bit. Yeah, yeah. I'm just gonna say in the genre of brutal death metal and the region. Yeah, you know this is basketball short t- territory. This oh is yeah, t- should be printing four right. XL. I'm just saying. All right, man. I wasn't the only big boy around at the show. <laughs> thing, all right, Word, but anyway, I I was you know I'm I, I say all this in in self deprecating jest. All right, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> uh, uh, but but moving on. Um, the 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 you you procured a, a long sleeve. What what size are you down to now, man? I'm a 2X, but sometimes the 2Xs get a little big, and uh, I don't think I'm anywhere near an XL, so I'm still in the 2XL uh, territory. I'm about 25 pounds away from uh, XL, I think, but and, and I've kind of plateaued as wow. far as the weight loss, but I'm you know, and still working out hard, but uh, you know, just now I, I worked out hard, and then I wound up eating Chinese food like uh, <laughs> like a guy that just got out of prison uh, who was falsely accused for 25 years. <laughs> You understand? Now I'm sitting here like ready to pass out. But yeah, w- thank God it worked out. That I would keep you on for if that was the case. That would be a very different kind of episode of the podcast tonight, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It defeats I've- the purpose sometimes of doing it, but hey, sometimes you gotta eat. You gotta eat. Shout! All right, man. Shout out to everybody locked up out there listening to Heavy Hole Podcast, man. Rick's holding you down with the beef low main for you. Um, yeah, no doubt. Shout to Tyler of Torturous Inception. I told Tyler recently, man. I've been. I told you I, lo- I didn't lose a lot of weight like you. I lost a little bit of weight. Lost. A- I don't want to. You know, as part of my appeal is being a big fat guy. You know, I I hope in some fashion because otherwise, start I, somewhere. <laughs> other, otherwise I got nothing. Um, uh, uh, but I shout though. Shout to Tyler. Tyler's very. You know, he we had him on the program. You can go back and listen to our interview with Tyler uh, Lauer of um, Torturous Inception and his other projects oh, yeah. he's been through. He's he's like a jogger, a marathon runner. He's an exerciser. He does a little bit of this and that. Man, very positive guy. He talked about that and how it actually affects his ability to do death metal vocals. It's no joke. So that kind of got me thinking. You know, and I've noticed it um, just in my minimal vocals that I do live. Uh, I don't do it often, but I noticed that it's easier now to 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 do um, you know to to belt them out. <laughs> so Interesting. I, it, more more uh, breath control. I don't know more uh, lung capacity, which I don't have good uh, lung capacity because all the um, you know all the, uh, the all smoke, the, I guess, that goes through my lungs. But uh, all the all the illegitables, uh, the illegitables, uh-huh. the accoutrements. But um, you know. Uh, that helps, yeah, and it's con- it'll continue to help. It's, it only makes sense. I hear you, man. Well, you know, all this health talk, uh, you know, we're talking about keeping things organic. Um, you know, we're talking about some old school classics that we procured just for this episode later, man. Um, uh, legend in the game. I'm going to break it down for you right now. I talked to none other than Jose Chewy Correa of organic formerly known as organic infest uh one of the original most brutal bands out of puerto rico still still active today
This is Big Will from Heavy Hole Podcast, and I'm here with Jose Chewy Correa, if I said that right, sir, of uh, Organic, formerly Organic Infest. Did I get that all right? Yes, you got it perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for your time, and welcome to the Heavy Hole Podcast. Thank you guys for having me. It's a pleasure. Pleasure is all mine. Appreciate you, man. And, um, you know, I, I have a lot of things I want to talk about. Getting right into it, the typical quest, question I ask every guest, uh, are you from a musical family, musicians uh, in your family older than yourself, or anybody that steered you towards hard rock and heavy metal music growing up? Well, not really. Apart from uh, from one of my uncles that used to uh, sing and, uh, you know, kind of the older music from our country. Um, I mean, you know, what we call, uh, folkloric music from our country. Um, no, uh, that's the only background that I would have. Oh, although I, I was, uh, raised on a very, um, musical environment, meaning that I was, uh, all my older cousins would have different musical backgrounds. And then I would be, um, you know, listening to everything that was going on at the time. 70s 80s um everything was was uh was music around the house um so even though that there was no real musicians uh or or there were many musicians on the family not not that i know um i was always very exposed to all types of music and so i i really grew up with that background Okay, and just to clarify for the listeners who aren't familiar, when you talk about your country, you're talking about Puerto Rico. Correct. Yes. Okay, and um, I I, I want to get into uh, discovering metal and all that sort of thing, but you are uh, traditionally known as the bass player uh, and vocalist of Organic, formerly Organic Infest. It was bass your first instrument? Yes, um, since the beginning. Um, I was in another project at some point where I started playing keyboards, which was a black metal band called um, Tinieblas. That was a couple of years, but um, I was I started playing bass there as well. I just moved to keyboards because we couldn't find one, and we wanted that atmosphere from the keyboard on that particular black metal band. So I uh, just bought a keyboard and start playing. So. Um, but I'm not into that anymore, and, and it was just for a couple years. Main instrument has always been bass, although in organic, uh, we don't have guitars. There are two bass players. One plays the regular bass, and I play a piccolo bass with guitar strings in it, and I do all the distorted parts like a guitar would do. So whenever you or anyone listen to the newer albums, uh, Fate of All Flesh and everything, there's no guitars in there. That's the bass doing the, well, the bass that I play doing the guitar parts. Thank you for clarifying that. Because I, and, and I'm going to be, in all honesty, and for the listeners who might check this out, I was just listening to um, uh, the the Fate of All Flesh, which is available on your band camp, um, and saying to myself, that sounds like a guitar, it's credited as piccolo bass. I'm not a musician uh, by trade. So maybe, could you describe just for the listeners shorthand what, what a piccolo bass is as opposed to their traditional bass you see people playing? Yes. Well, uh, to explain it like uh, in a very easy to understand manner, uh, that would be like a, a bass, but with a higher pitched uh, orientation. For example, you have your regular bass, which would have the um, lower tunings and stuff, 
what we do is we tune like a guitar, an octave higher than a bass player would, would uh, tune up. And there are uh, piccolo bass players who actually play with um, actual piccolo strings that are sold by uh, companies. They, sold, they sell uh, piccolo bass strings, which are thinner than the regular uh, strings. So you can pitch them higher and they won't sound as floppy. And, uh, but what I started doing was that, but then I started doing some changes because I wanted to sound more uh, on the guitar type of sound, even though that I was playing a, a piccolo bass. So I completely moved out from those type of strings and I put uh, guitar strings on my bass. <laughs> uh, also the piccolo, depending on what you can do it with the normal uh, type of bass, meaning that um, the length of the, of the instrument, which normally is 34-inch scale. That's the normal bass. Uh, the basses that I normally play, when I'm going to play the piccolo, I play the short-scale ones, which are shorter. They 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 tend to have like a scale more or less, like a guitar or a little bit longer. Um, but, uh, yes, I started doing some changes because uh, every time that I was almost getting to the sound that I wanted, uh, there was something missing. There was a piece of the puzzle. That was missing and i said no well let me try with the strings first and i did that um now on my uh album i have another bass that i started using and i also put the pickups of the instrument uh, which are the ones that actually you know when you play they pick up uh, the actual sound and of what you're playing with your hands and stuff and transduce that to to the amplifier so i changed them from bass uh, pickups to guitar pickups, even though that I still play four strings. And also I started using guitar amps instead of bass amps, for at least for that one, because I have still my regular bass. And on my recordings that I do alone, I play the regular bass and, and mm -hmm. piccolo bass as well. So Okay, yeah. that that's very distinct. Now, I, I'm, I got to play stupid. I know this is a stupid question, but... Why? Oh, why not just play a guitar? Like, what? Why is this a point? Is this a point of principle for you? You're a bass player. You're trying to explore the the realm of bass. Is, is that what it is? Okay, it's a long story. I'm gonna make it as short as possible so you can have the background of what happened. We okay. had a lot of issues by 2004 with several guitar players. Um, the the guitar player that we used to have for that last lineup was very good. And uh, but he had to left because of, of personal things and uh, the distance, you know, it was really difficult at that time. So uh, we started uh, auditioning guitar players and we always had a situation. Either they uh, came unprepared to the to the actual audition and they didn't know the songs and I had to stand in there and show them and they wouldn't pick up uh, the, the, the actual material. And it was kind of frustrating. There was a guy who actually learned two songs, but then he started to not come to the rehearsals. He started, you know, being absent from the band says, Hey, what's up? And we try to call him and there were a lot of things to, to make it short. And uh, one day I'm rehearsing regular bass with my drummer who has been with me the whole life. And, uh, we were rehearsing and he said, you know what? You know what? Just put some damn distortion to that bass and <laughs> it will be just the two of us. You sing, play the bass with distortion. It will be, it will sound uh, big and I'll just play the drums, but we have to play, man. We can keep up looking for guitar players and having all this, you know, 
all this mess of a stuff of trying to get them to learn. Once they learn the songs, that will delay the process for us because we were we were actually thinking, hey, this guy is learning the songs. Finally, we have somebody who's who learned a couple songs. Maybe we, we could have some progress here. And then all of a sudden, poof, we have no guitar player again. So I started with that. It sounded pretty nasty uh, to, to because I had to put more distortion than what Lemmy would normally use because he had guitars on, on, on his band. So it ended up being real muddy. And I, from there, I just, at, at first, I took it like a, a joke from my drummer. You know, like, like he was joking. But he then on the, the next rehearsal, he said, no, I'm serious. Put some damn distortion there and let's start playing. Let's start playing. And it, it started going on what started as a joke. Then we started taking it seriously because no guitar players would, everyone that we know were already in bands. They were already busy and stuff. And, uh, or either they live very far from us and make it very difficult. So I started with that thing of putting distortion to a regular bass. Then I started doing the modifications, one here, one here, one there, and it evolved into what it is today. <laughs> but it, you know, it gave me a lot of headaches uh, in the beginning wow. trying to get it uh, to sound as it is. Because we were, um, at first, I was trying to get like, um, I don't know, you know this band, uh, Necromantia from Greece? It's a black metal band. And they also have only bass. Basis? Yeah, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm familiar with them, but um, I would have mm -hmm. to look it up. Well, then, uh, I started to going into that, but, but they play black metal, and it was more of a chordal thing, huh. and okay. I wanted to play more linear things, so it was not what I was looking for. And then I started doing some modifications, and I end up with the with the sound that I have now. Okay, uh, this, this, no, this is great because we we do talk gear from time to time, and a lot of the listeners, I'm sure, would be very interested in this. Um, and I, I want to uh, I want to segue quickly though because um, you you did mention your drummer that would be Juan if yes, I got that yes. right because I got my notes here you guys go back pretty far because he's been on every organic and organic infest release do I have that right yes yes in fact we are the the ones that started all from the beginning um, our guitar play, player Freddie he was the actual original guitar player and we started the band and. Uh, we actually started at the end of um, 90, 1990, but it was not something concrete. And it was like we had another name. We we went by the we only played one show at one of our friends' houses that that um, by the name of uh, Concealed Damage, and uh, that was only one show. We started rethinking stuff, and we were getting into all the death metal of that era. We were getting very influenced uh by all the bands that were coming up at that time and uh the ones that were already were established so um we started organic infus uh at the beginning of 1991 and uh then at the end of 1991 we recorded the first demo and but he's been uh the drummer for the band the whole time just as i was the bass player all the time and uh, yes we go we go we the band now uh has uh it's 31 years wow so C congratulations on that man it's it's, it's excellent you. that you guys have been able to stick it out that long um and i, I just want to get a little taste before we move forward of 
what what was it like in the late 80s and and very early 90s in Puerto Rico being into underground death metal were, were there record stores were touring bands like the big bands of the era coming through and performing there and was it easy to do the tape trading thing that we all know about back then oh now that you go that back far that, that far back um yes it was all tape trading um and uh there were very few uh music stores that will have um actual underground music to to be selling on their stores uh the most uh, the renowned one it's uh thrash corner records here in puerto rico uh ray i don't know if you know him but but he's He's very on, on the on the scene in gen, in metal in general. He's very known by all bands. He had he has also promote shows that where he brings bands to bands to the to the country to Puerto Rico, um, and uh, that was the first contact we have with somebody who actually was uh, uh, into the merchandise type of thing, uh, selling records and uh, shirts and. We uh, got got to know him. He's a very good friend of ours. In fact, one of the albums, uh, the one that is entitled uh, "The Way to Temptation," uh, that was produced by his uh, company. He he had a, a little Thrash Corner Records thing when he would get bands and and have some releases. And we were uh, blessed enough to have him uh, help us with that release of, of "The Way to Temptation" at that point. But it was, you know, the underground here was actually that underground. We didn't have <laughs> places to play. Mm. Um, there were almost no venues. And most of the time, what we would do is the bands will gather and say, hey, let's try to make a show and get people to come and see us playing live. And there's this um, kind of uh, uh, places on some of the actual um cities right here where i live or, or the city next to ours which is kawas and uh there was this type of uh communal things where they would have this uh, it was not a venue it was more for if they have a uh, birthdays to celebrate on that place well then they will rent that or uh certain activities that will involve you know the community and sometimes we would just gather some money or the bands instead of getting money back we were actually paying for people to come to see us <laughs> because the underground was so difficult at mm -hmm. that time. So, but we wanted to get exposure, you know, so uh, we gathered this money, we would rent the place. And uh, most of them, once there was the show, since it was actual death metal and it was, you know, the actual people who were renting it to us didn't understand. They were not listening to that music. They didn't know, You know, even though that we would leave the place all all clean up and everything, they wouldn't rent it again mm. because they didn't want that music over there. They they for them it was just pure noise and and and, and you know garbage. If I, I would have to say something like that, but it was very difficult. Then um, we had a couple venues that started like taking things for us a little bit seriously. First with regular like hard rock and heavy metal bands. And then we started like pushing ourselves into it. Um, some some speed metal and thrash bands started like paving the way, and it ended up that some of the venues would actually accept us playing death metal, and and there was a you know there was, I would say that it was not 
something huge like you won't say a thousand people or 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 eight hundred people, but at least we get from a hundred to three hundred people on some of the best better nights, which was for for an underground scene that was huge. Yeah. We, we we thought, wow, three hundred people here tonight to see this four bands. Oh my god, we were you know, and we were kids, so so that was huge for us. It was kind of the, the actual underground was very difficult at my time. He that's why whenever a band comes now and and no disrespect here, right? I said, oh man, we have to promote ourselves and stuff, and and I say, <laughs> you wouldn't stand a, a chance. You wouldn't last up a minute in our in our in our time because it was all tape trading that you mentioned, and sometimes you know how many days you would have to wait until you actually get something back. Or to do an interview, when we were doing interviews, for example, for people from Lithuania or Russia or, or whichever country, they would write to us, and you know there was this trick of, of using the same uh, stamps and everything. Um, you might remember that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, put, putting the uh, putting the glue over uh -huh. the stamp and steaming it so you could send back the stamps. Yes, and, and, and sending them back, and and it would be uh, sometimes to have a communication and and have the actual interview published. It could take months mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because until the time they get the the interview back and uh, oh it, it was you know and the tape train thing and and be I, at that point be able to have your music out that was very difficult. There were not now now you can have now we have uh, uh, home recording systems and we have home studios and and everything that's in our hands you know we have everything at our disposal. Just like when we listen to music now, we have a way to go to YouTube or, or the band send, uh, does like promotion stuff. And you can listen to the band prior to buying something, mm. which we didn't have at that time as well. You were just either, um, you know, believing in the reviews that you have written, uh, that you have read on certain magazines uh, or, or stuff. And sometimes you hard-earned cash and you go and you buy it and you put it and you say this was not what i was expecting but we have to deal with that and then then we would trade and do stuff it was a very hard time so you know the youth of today should be grateful of all <laughs> the tools that they have yeah and 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 i wouldn't say that it's easy because there are two you know we have to put it in balance uh when we were growing up it was more difficult to put things out, but we didn't have that much competition. Yeah. Because there was less bands and uh, there was less uh, uh, opportunities to like have all these bands sounding the same. Mm -hmm. And nowadays, every five seconds, there's a new band that's coming out. And most of the bands today, they don't try to have their own sound. And what they end up doing is they end up being a copy of something they like. Not all of them, but unfortunately most. So, yes, it was very, very difficult in that time. Now that you bring that up. I, I, I appreciate that. We, we love hearing about um, how it was. And, you know, it's funny because I, I talk to people from all over the world and all over the United States. I'm from Long Island, right, right outside of New York City here. And it always gets down to tape trading and... Um, some, some things that, that we all share from back in the day, uh, of a certain, of a certain age anyway. But, um, you talked a little bit about, uh, you know, getting out there, getting ex exposure. 
would you mind talking a little bit? Because because then after your Drown in Blood uh, demo in nineteen ninety three, the 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 Pendants album uh, comes out on JL America. Would you mind talking a little bit about how you ended up working with JL America? And um, were 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 they like scouting bands from your area or something like that, or were you guys just that active in the international scene? Well, it all came up because um, the guy that I mentioned before, Ray from Trash Corner Records, uh, put out a show in uh, that was March of '92, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, by that time, there were two bands that on the underground they were kind of growing up. They were, they were growing their fan base very quickly, which was Impedigo and uh, Nuclear Death. Mm. So they were on this whole underground gore type of stuff, grindcore, and they were actually getting a huge fan base at that point, uh, even though that it was underground metal. Um, so Ray decided to bring them to Puerto Rico to play, and... Uh, they, then Ray told us, hey, guys, you're my favorite band from here, so and you're my friends as well, so if I'm going to put some opening act for them, I'll, I'd rather be you. Um, and we said, wow, that's great. So um, the actual uh, crew that came with those two bands, uh, there was uh, a guy named Ralph that he used to scout bands, but not for JL America. He, he used to work to scout bands for Century Media, huh. which is even a higher uh, company. But um, at the moment, JL America was not looking for bands, but he knew this guy who was uh, looking for bands in this style of music, and that was uh, the guy from JL America. So uh, when he, he's, he uh, watches play on that, uh, show he said hey guys i'm definitely gonna re recommend you to keith keith was the, the the owner of jail america and uh i'm gonna recommend you guys you sound very good you sound very good very good and we say okay thank you we really appreciate it but we just thought that hey the guy's just being you know nice to us and since we were you know having a a nice time together on that show we said, oh, he's just trying to be good polite you know <laughs> having a good time. But in the end, he actually uh, got in contact later on with Ray and said, hey, um, I don't have a way to contact the guys from Organic Infest, but I know that you do. So let them know that Keith is, is, is you know, wants to uh, listen to some of their material. And I already gave my word that they play very good, at least live. They, they are awesome. So... And then Ray came to us and said, hey, this guy is interested. And he was at the time trying to get some bands. And we ended up doing that. You know, we, we recorded. Um, it's it's an album that it's kind of a bittersweet album for us. Because um, it was our first experience recording an album. And it didn't go as we expected. Um, there has always been this type of uh, discussion between fans of the album uh, that they love it the way that it is and stuff. But we all we all know that the album could have had <laughs> a better production, better sound on it. Um, but of course, we were, you know, very young, very naive. 
we were letting ourselves go by what the the actual uh, um, uh, studio people were telling us, but in the end, it ended it ended up hurting us because they didn't know about recording metal. It was more they they used to record more of the pop and tropical stuff, the tropical music, salsa, and all the stuff that was was being in our country. In fact, it was a very big studio. For a, for a first experience, we were like, "Whoa, this is Disneyland!" But um, I, uh, but it, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, Unicorn Electric Symphony Studio. Yes, yes. Okay, shout out to Metal Archives for for that for my research. Yeah, I'm sorry. Proceed, proceed. I'm sorry. No, no problem. So yes, that was the actual uh, recording studio, and they had very high end, uh, a very high end recording facility. Uh, but, but you know, you can have. All the gear in the world, and you're, you're not your ears are not used to that type of music. You won't get the sound. Yeah, yeah. So it hurt us more than that. It helped us to be in that type of of uh, of environment. And uh, then we, the the record was done, and we just said, "Hey, it is what it is." So, and at that time, we were not pleased, but we were okay with sending it out. And uh, then Keith uh, said, "Hey, okay, yes, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have the release done," and they did it. So, but then the thing that happened with JL America was that he, uh, instead of getting the bands that would um, get him to grow his company and try to, you know, uh, release those and push them, he started taking too many bands at the same time. Like trying to see which one is going to give me the hit, which one mm. is going to give me the big hit. Mm. And what that did is that he ended up messing his company because then he had no more budget. He couldn't assist the bands with with getting a promotion in terms of, you know, putting up like a, a, even if it was kind of a little thing, but uh, live shows and putting like a, let's say, on, even if it was on the States, only on the States, which would have been great at that time put a little um, tour going on with bands from the label, that would have been great. But he ended up having so much uh, grabbing all these bands at the same time that he ended up, you know, blasting himself and, and, and it came down. So the company just went downward from there, went downhill. So it hurt us because we had that album and all of a sudden we were a band with an album out, but with no more active label. So we're trying to, you know, propose everything ourselves, but we didn't have the budget as well. Most of the budget we we already had, we ended up uh, paying it in the actual uh, studio. Mm. So, you know, it was very hard to get things back and, and we were not able to uh, comply with everything that we had to do to put it up. And that's when I think that was... That was the first time that the band just started like falling apart because then one and I would want to continue, you know, but the guitar player was so down because of everything that happened that he just ended up moving from Puerto Rico and going to the States and moved with his family and started working. So we actually started breaking mm. at that point. And there were a couple of years until he came back to Puerto Rico. And then in 2000, we reformed. But it was very, very sad. It was a very th sad thing. We could have, I think that everything was would have been played for the bands that were truly going to make it for him and his label. 
the actual story would have been different because uh, I think that he uh, had the first Immortal record and Immortal has become huge. So, so at some point, we have all these bands that now were pushing themselves and were able to go somewhere from there, but because they ended up with all their labels. And uh, some of the bands just had our same uh, situation and they ended up breaking up or, or going other ways. And, and, and it was a, a really sad thing because of that. I'm looking at the JLA America catalog right now, and it, I, in this day and age where all these things are being repressed that are from that era, it's probably it's, it's it would be worth a lot of money. It's a it's a shame that um, respectfully, did you guys end up in a position like many other artists from that era where you don't have the rights to that album? Well, um, actually. Uh, I've never, after the album was settled and uh, we had, uh, as a band, we had the rights to the music. And uh, since the company just simply banished, uh, what happens is that the actual copies that were left have been spreading all over the internet. And, uh, but we didn't uh, work out, you know, the rights to be able to reproduce it again. Um, that was entirely part of JL America was because we thought we were dealing with a, a label that will keep on going, but the music is all under our rights. So music is ours. Uh, you know, even if the guy comes back with JL America, music is ours. So we have no problem with that, but the actual recording is it, it was entirely uh, uh, under the rights for JL America because they were the label. Yeah. That, that that was very common back then. Um, that was kind of how how it went, and and that that is still how it goes with a lot of labels. Um, you you talked to you you were very upfront uh, about the production of the album and the sound and how fans will tell you it's perfect. I personally enjoy it. Um, you know it has a it has a charm. One of my favorite albums is Reek of Putrefaction by Carcass. So yeah. I mean you can tell how I how I really enjoy the raw quality of the of the first Organic Infest album. Um, and you also, you know, you talked about that, uh, you know, the studio, which was, I guess, more, more, I, I, I have a lot of these albums from that era are recorded because I mean, t you know, for anyone who wants to be a, a, a internet critic of that album, how difficult would it have been to go to a studio where you're from in Puerto Rico within some sort of driving distance, um, or traveling distance and get a good rock or metal production, uh, for what you guys were doing? Well, the thing is that at the, at the time. Uh, for example, we had our first demo recorded, uh, which is Drowning Blood. It was recorded on uh, December of 1991, just a three-song demo. And the production on that one is even <laughs> – that that's raw. Um, but even though it was raw, um, we were going to try to – do the recording in that same uh, studio because the thing is that, for example, they uh, it happens the same thing. The person had a great studio. It was a a, a smaller type of studio. It was not as huge as Unicorn Symphony, but it was good. It was a very good studio as well. And uh, we were going to actually record the the album there, but um, they were going to, 
through some struggle with the actual owner of the building. And uh, it was going to take things to be delayed uh, too long. And then we had the label like putting pressure on, hey, we, we need to be releasing this by this date. And if we were to wait for them, it would have never happened. Mm. So then the label would have dropped us, which at this point, <laughs> thinking of it right now. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, man. If we would have waited, maybe we would have had a better recording. But nevertheless, it is what it is. I don't regret it. History is history. Okay. And I love uh, everything that we have done. We have to, you know, share that and and, and, and appreciate that, that in, in, a, in a time where many bands would have loved here in Puerto Rico to be able to have a recording out with a label, none of none of the others could. So uh, we're very grateful for that and appreciate it. But there, we, we were having all this pressure from the label company, from Jail America, that, hey, we have to release on that date. Um, we even have that, that album, I'll tell you, man, that album. Um, <laughs> we, we even we even uh, had another artwork uh, for that album, which was more uh, on the vein of what Cannibal Horse was doing, you know, more and more uh, on the zombie style of things. Mm -hmm. uh, and Keith just put that artwork because that artwork was meant for another band. I don't remember which band was going to get that artwork. But then all of a sudden he since he had already paid for that artwork, he just slammed it into the into the into our album. Like, you know, um we were like, but this is not the artwork, the the artwork we intended. This is not the one. But it ended up being what it is. So he just slammed that artwork because he had already paid for it to be put it for another band, and then the other band just simply wouldn't have the recording on time because I, I, again like i tell you he was putting a lot of pressure on the bands to have their albums out he was very like you know desperate to to have this thing going on which which is the album that is gonna make me grow my company which one is gonna give me a hit man and you're producing death metal and and underground bands you couldn't be producing with that mindset Oh, man. Because it's not going to make us millionaires, you know. We're still people that still work to this day, uh, an eight to five job, and and you know we have to have our feet on the ground. And and he was so eager to have this. No, no, like like I gotta have this band that is. Ah, yes, I got this people from Puerto Rico. They're gonna make me rich. No, it's not. It doesn't work like that, you know. And uh, that's why the company failed. So and we were all we all sunk with the with the ship, you know. So. Mm. Well, it sounds like you have a healthy attitude about it now, man. Um, yeah. And I'm, I'm still, I'm, I'm, I'm tripping on the artwork a little bit because uh, hearing all that, the, you know, look, I'm looking at the artwork now. It's, and I've always thought of it like, cause, cause you guys were the most brutal band that I knew of from that, for, especially from that era from Puerto Rico. Um, you had an album out, you know, that was like, you know, on, on a label, like, you know, like you said, with all these, all these other bands and maybe that's just my own ignorance of the scene down there, but the cover art itself stood out so distinctly and had these like bright colors that I thought maybe it was supposed to indicate some sort of, um, like, you know, tropical 
uh, theme or something like that. Because <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I, what did I, what did I know, man? But I mean, because you wouldn't see those colors stand out so bright on on a typical Cannibal Corpse release, like you've mentioned. Definitely, you know? definitely. So now that you mention it, uh, well, that's a nice, that's a nice way, a nice way to put it. Well, tropical the- colors for a tropical death metal band. <laughs> Well, this is also my perspective when I was, you know, yeah. a, a teenager uh, here in New York. Um, you know, look, uh-huh. you know, that's that's how you look at things. And we would look at all the bands, you know, Deranged was the band from Sweden. And, you know, Dismember was the band. From, you know, everything was very localized. You know, Monstrosity mm-hmm. was the Florida band. And, you know, that, you know how it, how it was. You know, nowadays everything is a little bit more uh, cross-pollinated. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and speaking of that, I, I do want to move on cause you got so much else going on and you do have to tell us about your, your, your material that you're currently working on for the future. I just want to mm-hmm. touch on the agony EP quickly from 2001 and ask you, it stands out. It has a particular brutal low end kind of chunk to it. Um, I don't know. Would you say that maybe the production on that is what you guys might have been going for uh, on the previous releases, or did you have like a newfound influence to make it really brutal and chunky on that? That that one stands out for the brutality. Yes. Well, actually, that was more or less the sound that we were trying to look for when we were recording the first album. Mm-hmm. Uh, just like you mentioned. Um, in fact, that EP was not recorded at a studio that was just uh, uh recorded by a person well he he was uh studying music production and stuff at that time and he was very prominent with all their bands recording at his house but he had a home studio and uh that sound ended up being uh part of what we wanted although although by the time that we recorded penitence our penitence, our influences were more, at least on my side of things, were more into the Dia side, Cannibal Corpse, Morbid Angel, uh, more like the Death, more like the U.S. Uh, bands. And we have this kind of a mixture because then our guitar player would be more on the European side of things, which I love which I love because I love Grave, Entombed, Dismember, uh, you know, all those Unleashed, all those classic bands. Um, But it was like a mixture of both. So by the time that we get to record Agony, if you get to the songs, it has like, you you would say, has something like a from Autopsy or, 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 uh, you know, like, uh, some of the more lower parts of Cannibal Corpse and those type of U.S. bands, but there's something else going on here. And uh, it was because we were incorporating those uh, that style of the uh, Sweden type of, uh, of death metal of that era, mm-hmm. the Swedish death metal, which was gaining influence on us as well. So by the time that you see that we move from from the EP Agony to the Way to Temptation, we were almost already on the European side of things, but but uh, there were more bands like Sentinex and all those more I wouldn't say melodic but uh, aggressive that they were more like death crash bands mm-hmm, mm-hmm. coming from that uh, other part of Sweden. 
and uh, that was an influence, but definitely on the EP, we wanted that uh, low-end, aggressive, dark kind of thing. And I even up ended uh, changing my, my vocal style there. I started growling a little bit more intense and, and lower in pitch. Um, and everything was uh, was part of that interaction of, of, of between us that the guitar player was listening to more Swedish bands and we were listening to more uh, U.S. bands. So so that's what happened with that album. Although mm. we have um, in the middle of uh, Penitence and Agony when we reformed, uh, we uh, before we reformed, we, we had. Um, uh, two tracks that we recorded. One of them is there in Agony, which is called Inhuman Plague. But we have another one that we have on cassette. I I have it here somewhere. It's called Lost for Flesh. We we recorded a two a two song promo to spread the new sound around, which ended up being in the Agony EP. Because we were like transitioning to that type of sound. But yes, it agony. Uh, it's it. It has a place in our hearts because it was a. Uh, it was recorded really quick, mm. and uh, we ended up liking it in terms of sound. Uh, a little bit more than we like penitence, but still, for me, I used to love more the music in penitence a little bit. That was on the agony ep although i love the agony ep as well um you know we don't play music that we don't like <laughs> so we we that's why you uh if you go and see from album to album the difference that you can notice from album to album is because we play what we like not what is a trend at the moment so when people here in puerto rico i used i used to play this this game with myself when people here in puerto rico the bands were more growling like very growling stuff I would go to the most screechy sound, um, like uh, I would say when when uh, Glenn Menton from Deicide is not using the lower voice, he's using the higher one, more ah, screechy type mm -hmm. of voice. I would go that way, and everyone was rattling. I was singing that way. So, and whenever people started singing more black metal type of of, of voice, and then I started growling again. So I'm always trying to. Be different to what's going on. I don't want to go into the stage. At least that's something that we we always strive for. When we go on stage, we want to be that small black dot on a white uh, on a whiteboard. <laughs> small dot, yeah. You know that. Ah, that's this big white, but we notice that spot over there. So. Well, I could definitely see you guys standing because just to, just to recap for the listeners, because there's a lot there. 2003, The Way to Temptation, right? Uh, full length on Thrash Corner Records, which you t you talked about the significance of that label um, in your country. Uh, that comes out. And that, like you said, I, I my personal as a listener listening to I heard maybe some older dismember kind of qualities. That's, you know, that's just uh, or or um, even maybe entombed, you know, some of that old like the, the more brutal, like you said, death thrash qualities uh, amongst other things. But also 2016, the fate of all flesh comes out. 
Um, and so, so, so the way to temptation was your last album with Freddie. Is it Freddie, uh, Figueroa? Figueroa, yeah. Figueroa. All right. I, that's, I, that's my Long Island tongue's not going to let me pronounce that correctly, but respect to him. <laughs> Don't worry. Um, that's, that's the last album with him on guitar. You explained at the top of the interview that I guess between the way to temptation and the fate of all flesh is when you adapted to this piccolo bass. Um, and, and that's, you're kind of like taking the place of where a guitar might normally be on the fate of all flesh album. And in addition to that though, cause you talked about how you guys want to be the little black dot on the whiteboard. You want to, I mean, I listened to that album this morning and there's like, um, you talked about doing the, the, the high vocals when people are doing the low, what about doing, were you the one doing the, uh, the merciful fate style vocals, the traditional heavy metal vocals on that album too, in certain parts. I mean, it, it's all over the place, but in a... In, in a conceivable way, you know, for the listeners. Yes. Um, all the vocals. I, I did all the vocals on the album. Wow. I have, I have multiple influences. For example, my favorite band ever is Coroner. So, huh. yeah. Yeah. So, and I have a lot of influence from, from them, uh, you know, especially from No More Color, the album No More Color. But they, they have always been my favorite band. Almost tight, tight with King Diamond. Okay. All Almost right. tight with King Diamond. Of course, I have my personal favorites in the more death metal uh, uh, music, which I love Suffocation. Um, uh, I think that that band took was the one that actually took whatever you would thought that death metal could be. And they just blasted to the moon. You know, and from there, that's a part where we started to moving apart from that type of scene, because then when the Suffocation released "Effigy of the Forgotten," mm -hmm. it was so huge that sound. We were all we were listening to that on Freddie's car, and we were like, "What the hell is this?" Because we have heard already the the actual first EP that they had, and it sounded great. But with the new production and all the other songs, and we were like, whoa, put that again. Put play again to that. And we were listening to that for hours. And we were so impressed. But then, like with many bands that have done uh, special things in the genre, as happened, there were 3,000 more suffocation wannabes coming mm -hmm. out. Same happened with At The Gates. At The Gates had Slaughter of the Soul, which is a great album. And then you see all this mixture of death, which started the deathcore type of thing coming out. And then they all started sounding almost the same. And I say, what happened here? So uh, it, it, it was uh, what we call a change of seasons for us. We're like trying to move out from whichever was the trend. And on this album, uh, The Fatal Fall Flesh, since we were going to have this and we were going to incorporate all this stuff of the piccolo bass, no guitars, um, and uh, we, we also said, hey, because it's always my drummer, one, that you know pushed me to my boundaries. He said, man, uh, because I had all the projects where I would sing on a doom metal band and, and, and it ended up, you know, breaking up and stuff. But I was singing doom metal band in the, start, in the style of more like Candlemas, which I love as well. 
and, uh, and and I have other things where I had the clean vocals. And he said, you know what? Why don't you put some clean vocals on this album? Let's make it different as well in that, in that department. And I started doing uh, the Gotoro, the Screechy, and I do not only on In the Dark, which is the one that has the Merciful Fate type of things. That was a thing that I wanted to do. I said, I'm not going to, of course, I'm not King Diamond, but I'm going to do it on, on a style that resembles some something like that. And when people listen to it, say, hey, is that your homage to, to Merciful Fate? And I said, well, you want to take it that way? That's a compliment for me. Yes. Um, so it's more more in that kind of style. But we mixed a lot of styles in that album. There are, uh, if you listen to, let's say, uh, a song like um, Kingdom of Shadows, it's more into like a power metal, thrashy type of thing, a melodic type of thing. And the vocals are almost black metal vocals. So I try to to vary things and go, uh, you know, mix things in a way that that I feel proud of, that I feel comfortable, that I say, hey, I, I've even though that it's not something original, because being original these days is very difficult. Everything has pre pretty much been been done, but it's this type of things that we always take into consideration in our band. That hey, let's give it a twist, and we will sound different which is what we have always strived for. So, so yeah, that's why the clean vocal, and it's not the only song that has clean vocals. Uh, uh, there are other uh, songs that actually has clean vocals. Uh, Blood of Eden has clean vocals in it. And uh, yes, I was able to pull that out. <laughs> oh, okay. And the, well, the fate of all flesh is available on your band camp. Um, uh, and, and that's also, um, was it, was that the first album under the name organic dropping the word infest from the name? Yes. Yes. Uh, not the first recording, but the first album, because we did a song, uh, that it's on the, there's also another, uh, uh platform that is called reverb nation, uh, where we used to be because bands were getting huge promotion there. And there's a lot of, of our music there. But we recorded a song called Fear, which was when I was transitioning to the putting some uh, piccolo bass strings. And, and, and it was still the bass pickups and stuff. And it was real messy. We liked the song. And it ended up being kind of cool. But we didn't like the, the sound of it that much. So we ended up uh, just... You know, it was just a promotional stuff and, and just to listen to ourselves how this could sound and what we could improve. Because the, the best way to, to try to improve things is to at least get a decent demo recorded. That way you can sit and listen to it over and over and over. We have to change this. We have to modify this. We have to change this. Because when you're playing live, you know, you're just playing. You, you're not the, the audience. You are just performing. So you don't have the time to listen to, hey, yes, because then you will, you know, your performance is going to suffer from it. You start like, oh, we could change that. In the middle of the song, performing live, you oh, that's not. No, you're just performing and that's it to give your best. But when you get a, a demo recorded, even if it's a simple thing from a song that you want to improve or something, that's the best way. So we recorded that, but then uh, we didn't have it on the album. There was some music 
that we started playing live that never made it to the album. Uh, and people liked them very much, those songs, but they never made it to the album because we were transitioning to this. So on this particular album, uh, what I did for for uh, the songwriting was pretty much go crazy on all my influences, from the death metal ones to the heavy metal ones to whichever. So that's why you will see that on, on the Fatal of Flesh, there's this mixture of of heavy uh, speed, thrash, black metal, death metal, all, all in, in one place. Yeah, and, and something I appreciate is that in the mix of all that, you also take it back to the, like you said, you had a guttural vocal, you had a brutal part here or there. You kind of keep us anchored um, in death metal uh, as, as much as you reach outside of it too, man. Um, and that being said, what's going on for any type of uh, future work from Organic or if you also want to get into talking about your solo project or your, your project that, that you're primarily working on uh, by yourself okay. um, now and, and talk about that for the listeners? Definitely. Thank you so much uh, for bringing that up. We are organic. We are uh, currently um, almost ending what we call pre-production, which is when we decide which songs we're going to get recorded and for, for our next album. And uh, what happened is that with all this pandemic stuff, we got really delayed. A um, uh, lot of losses in my family. And uh, all, all those things, all those personal things, things at work, many changes, everything got delayed. But we're now back on track. We're uh, almost done with all the music and in pre-production for Organic for the next album. Hopefully we'll have it uh, recorded this year. And I, if everything goes well by the end of this year, probably or uh, beginning of next year, we'll have it up. Uh, it has... Another twist. Uh, the songs are nothing. Well, not nothing, but but you know, take out a little bit from what you already heard on the Fate of All Flesh. There's more guttural stuff again because here on my country once again, people are getting more into clean vocals and progressive stuff and uh, thrash and more screechy vocals. So I'm going to go away from that, and, and we're, this album is going to get more good or all. And we're working on some songs that are actually more death metal oriented than the ones that were there. Uh, still, you know, bringing some melodic stuff and some of the other stuff that I have. But this one uh, is, you know, the, the picture that we're painting for this one, it's to be uh, a little bit more in the... Uh, combination, but still have a little bit more death metal than that what the, the Fate of All Flesh had. Um, and yes, we're almost finished with all the the, um, the music. Uh, we still haven't decided completely on the um, the name of the album. We have a couple uh, um, titles that we're looking forward to to work with and see which one would be the best. Although, since we're a trio, uh, if you notice, the Fate of All Flesh uh, has those three hands, which means that we're going back from the from the dead, practically, again, to be having music and stuff. So everything that we're going to put in our uh, artwork right now is going to be on threes. For example, 
Um, this next thing, uh, we have a, a friend of ours that did some type of a, of a sketch. And we had a, a friend of ours that unfortunately died. And he was one of the pillars of here of Puerto Rico in the metal scene. Erico from the band Dantesco. And uh, he, he was a brother to us. And he used to watch us on stage and he said, oh, we're going to see the three-headed dragon today. So that is a title that it's been revolving in our heads, the three-headed dragon and have like an actual three-headed dragon flying. And possibly uh, my my perspective would be that dragon flying and you could see the, the actual Fate of All Flesh artwork, the three hands on the bottom and the dragon flying over them, something like that. But we haven't still decided. Mm -hmm. But it's still in the works. But we're working on the music, almost done. Uh, now, regarding my personal project, which is entitled after my last name, Correa, which in Spanish, that means belt. Um, so it's it's more in the heavy metal, uh, speed metal type of stuff, has some progressive elements as well. But um, I was fortunate enough to work with... Uh, Uh, a singer this this album by the way was recorded i recorded the the actual regular bass and the piccolo bass at uh here in my personal home studio but then since we were on the middle of the pandemic and everything all the musicians are from other countries and we made the recording that way uh you know collaborating and stuff So the drummer on two of the songs, there I have different drummers on different songs, um, but two of the songs, the drummer is uh, Chris Dovas. He has a, a death metal band that's called Dovas, and uh, he has played with Vital Remains, drummer for Vital Remains for live gigs. Yeah, and he recently played with Testament. Wow. Okay. When, when, <laughs> yes, uh, Gene Hoagland. Gene Hoagland couldn't uh, play a couple of shows. And he was the guy who was playing with Testament. So he played uh, on two of the songs. Wow. Um, the singer is Leonel Silva. He's from Portugal. And very nice guy. I love this guy. And I love his voice. His voice is more into the type of, uh, not exactly, but more into the Dio, Ronnie James Dio type of voice. And and uh, I would say um, John Oliva from Sabotage. And uh, that type of heavy metal voice, but it's kind of raspy at, at points, but melodic as well. And he's a very great guy, and he sings. Uh, uh, what's the name of this guitar player? Um, uh, he used to play in a band called Rage, a very very famous German band, uh, Rage. Um, so he's playing with. Uh, he's singing with him on his band. Um, The, the name of the band is Almanac, but I don't remember now the name of the guitar player. And on the first song of the album, the, the, the opener, I was, you know, blessed, I could say, that um, the whole album, I play all the solos and I do everything like I normally do in organic. But there are two guitar players only on the album and they only play solos, guest solos. One of them is from a very old school uh, power metal band that was here in Puerto Rico called Power Lord, and uh, he played one of the of the songs, the the solo for one of the songs. And on the opener, I had 
this blessing of having Andy LaRock from King Diamond to play a solo for me. Wow. So that was a, a that was a dream come true. You know, it really came out as a communication that I was having because they wanted to the the company that uh, uh, not the record label, but uh, um, the guy who books their tours for for King Diamond and stuff. He wanted to uh, see if here in Puerto Rico they could have uh, they want they wanted to try to bring Candlemas to play here. So I don't know how he got me how he got my contact over the email, and I know the guy I know who the guy is. So I said, "Hey, yes." Um, and after we uh, stopped uh, chatting about um, Candlemas, I said, "Hey, there are any possibilities that you know that King Diamond did some." Uh, work on the vocals with a band called Volbeat. If he would be, you know, even if I have to, you know, look for resources to get paid or stuff, but that would be my ultimate. And he said, you know what? King doesn't do that. Not because he's a bad guy or anything, but the thing with Volbeat, he was just paying a favor back. So he normally won't be doing guest vocals in, in any albums, but if you would like, and that butt was huge. But if you would like, Andy LaRock is my favorite guitar player of all time. So uh, if you want Andy, may do a guest guitar solo on one of your songs. And I say, what? <laughs> what? What are you talking about? Yes, I might get in contact with him. And I'm going to let him know that you will be emailing him. And he gave me the email address. And I said, no, this guy is bluffing. You know, this, this is not real. He's just... Trying to be nice, but I know this is not going to go anywhere. And all of a sudden, I said, what the hell? I had the song already prepared that I would love him to have a, 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 song, a solo in. And I write. I write. I didn't put any faith on it. I just wrote and sent the email. Two days after that, Sonic Train Studios, which is his studio, Sonic Train Studios, and I said, oh. Oh my God! No, let me open this email, but slow. <laughs> I opened and started looking, and he said hi. And he said the name of the other guy. I said he contacted me, and he said that you were interested on me playing a guest solo on one of your songs. Uh, please let me know what it's all about so we can talk it over. He's such a nice guy, and uh, it came true. You know, we were able to work it out. He was working on a lot of stuff because of the pandemic and stuff. And he said, you know what? Normally I charge this sum, but I know that we're all struggling and stuff. So basically I ended up paying like what? Uh, because I didn't want it for free. I said, no, you work from this. So you thought as a guest solo and stuff. And he said, well, I, I, I would need to charge because this is my job. But he charged me what? Like 10% of what he would normally charge anyone. Because in the end, he listened to the song and he said, hey, hey man. I'm all for it. I like the song a lot. So he ended up liking it. And I said, wow, you really liked it. Yes. Just send me the, the files that I need. And I will be recording that solo for you the next week. So I sent the, the files, the payment, and it was done. So now it's going to come out probably, I think, next month. If everything goes well, it's already been sent to production. So I'm hoping that... Again, I'm all about the underground and stuff. So I, I, this is not something that I do to 
get a lot of money or be rich because it's my passion for music. It's been my passion for, for my whole life. So if it comes out and it has a boom, bless it be. If not, at least I have a moment to cherish. You know, like I have my personal favorite guitar player of all time in one of the songs in my record. So that for me means the world, man. That's that's a lot, man. Um, yeah, that, that's that doesn't happen every day. And you talked about um, it's uh, if, I'm, I'm going to mispronounce it. Korea, uh, Korea. Yeah, that's Korea. Korea. Uh, you got, you got great. Uh, I'm always because as I said before, we talk to people from all over the world. I'm o- I'm always checking my pronunciation. Um, but that's C O R R E A. Uh, mm-hmm. For the listeners, if they want to look that up, and is there a specific place people might want to check for this uh, social media or anything like that? Well, uh, if they check uh, the normal social media for organic as well, um, I've been posting some teasers on YouTube, uh, little shots of uh, you know teasers of music and stuff, but not anything big because um, I'm waiting for the album to be already on production. And then all my promotion is going to go boom. Mm. You know, I'm the, you know, some people work things different. You know, you have this guys that, and I'm talking about in our country, that have a band and they have you from, they, they haven't even finished recording the, the record and they have you the whole year. Ah, oh, wait for a new album coming out soon, you know, whatever. And they do that all weeks. The whole year. And I know that that's part of marketing, you know, have the listeners or the people, you know, aware and, and show them that you're active. But for me, it has worked a different way. I stay in the shadows a bit. And then when I come out, boom, 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 boom. I start, you know, Promotion here, promotion there. I have already uh, promotional stuff. Like I, I have a, a playthrough video in which uh, Andy was kind enough as well to uh, record him and video for the for the playthrough video. So uh, it's the drummer, the singer, and I'm playing both the bass, of course, and, 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 the, and the piccolo bass. And Andy recorded the part of his solo, and I'm going to put that on YouTube, and I'm going to promote it. And also, Andy as well told me at some point, "Hey, once you have the record out, send me the send me the, or at least you know that it's in production." He told me, "Send me the the artwork, and send me the the uh, song that I played the guitar solo on to promote it on my sites, on my media, my social media." And that came out of him. You know, I didn't say, "Hey, if, if I pay you something," no, he said, "No, don't worry." Just send me the stuff and I'll promote it. So he's, he's a very kind, kind and nice guy. So, so I'm very fortunate to to have that as well. So part of it helps with the promotion, but most of it is just personal. Uh, you know, my personal goal, and I was able to achieve it, and I feel blessed because of it. So I'm very grateful. Wow, man that that's that's quite a story, man. It's it's always cool to hear that uh, some of these metal heroes that we have are. Um, are uh, nice guys uh, that'll that'll work with uh, underground musicians and things like that, man. At the end of the day, because you know, every once in a while you hear about somebody having an ego or something too, man. Mm-hmm. So, so it's, yes. it's happy ending on that one. Um, 
Well, I, and I encourage the listeners to check that out and go back and talk about all the music that we've spoken about. Um, you've been very generous with your time, and to be respectful of your time, uh, I'll give you the opportunity to plug and promote anything else that might be going on and to remind the listeners about what you have coming up. Uh, at this point in the interview, I usually ask the guests to recommend one older and one newer piece of music, whether it's a demo or an album, whether it's metal or any other genre of music, just something from back in the day that you've always liked for years and something a little bit more recently that you like. Just recommend something for me and the listeners if you want to take a minute. Well, if I'm going to go back, definitely uh, Effigy of the Forgotten, the Suffocation, <laughs> because that album just yeah. blew my mind when it came out. And, and uh, very few albums... Well, there are many albums that had impressed me in, in, in my lifetime, of course. Many bands coming up with great albums. But that album was like a punch in the face. And from the newer stuff, even though that it's an old school band, the new obituary album, it's it's very good. It's very good. I like it a lot. And uh wow, it's 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 a very good album. It's very well recorded, and the songs are you know, what we can call catchy in the death metal uh, genre because um, dif difficult to call it catchy, but, but at least for us, Abbott, um, death metal listeners appreciate the style and the genre. That album came out recently, and it's very, very good. Both one, my drummer and I were listening to it the other day, and it's entirely after, after having our rehearsal. We were, wow, this is very good. Two, two albums that had impressed me lately was that, and there's this Canadian band, Voivod, mm -hmm. yeah. that, that their latest album also, we, we listened to that for a couple of days and we were really impressed. The guitar player that plays there, which actually, <laughs> same nickname, Chewy, um, <laughs> he used to play in a band called Martyr from Canada, which was more a uh, technical death metal band. Mm -hmm. yeah and also their albums are really good so so that those albums i really recommend definitely well, a lot of good stuff there and i i appreciate the suffocation talk because like i said i'm from long island i'm a generation uh or so younger than those guys so i always grew up looking up to them and the other the big long island bands um definitely when you listen to effigy the forgotten it some people don't it's it's easy to forget it was 1990 that it came out because it it was there were bands for years trying to compete with the, that sound and with that brutality for years afterward. Um, they they really changed the game. Uh, so, uh, Jose, I, I really appreciate your time um, and taking us back to the old days and then informing us on, on uh, what you have coming up with this new project. That's very exciting with all these uh, musicians you're working with and, and, and all their credentials. Um, do you have any, uh, anything else that you, that, you, that I failed to bring up that you'd like to uh, promote or uh, any, um, uh, messages for fans of your music and listeners of our show? Well, uh, first of all, I want to thank you, Will, for having me. It's a pleasure meeting you, uh, and, uh, anyone that has, uh, this, um, you know, generosity to have us on their shows and stuff and on their podcasts. I really appreciate it because you guys also take from your time to give us like this kind of exposure and, and have the bands, you know, be noticed by other people that maybe have, haven't heard about us. So I really appreciate it very much. I really thank you for that. In terms of things coming out, new organic music, probably about the end of the year, my uh, solo album Korea going uh, probably on March. 
And I'm also working on other projects uh, that could involve old school death metal. I wanna. Uh, I have something that I'm planning uh, because my my actual job, which I don't really like that much, is on a call center, and uh, I have something going on. I'm gonna let you know before anyone. Nobody knows this, so this is uh, <laughs> you're gonna have the exclusive. Awesome. So I'm 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 working on some stuff that it's kind of uh, more on the death metal, but old school death metal type, and. Uh, I'm working with this um, uh, concept of call center zombies. <laughs> so uh, more of a type of expression of how I feel when I'm on that job, you know, taking calls and people screaming at me and stuff. So, <laughs> so, so it's, it's kind of on that vibe and uh, actually call center zombies might be the, the name of it. And it's, <laughs> it's going to be gore, you know, like in the old school, <laughs> cannibal corpse and stuff it, and and just like you're you're smiling right now and laughing i'm gonna laugh about it right now because it's gonna be something that i'm gonna do that probably is gonna be taking us funny but but still um it's gonna be a project that i'm working on and i'm i'm started working with music and i don't know if i'm gonna go a full album with it might be an ep but if it goes well well who knows and another project that I have is uh, there are many things that I'm do- working on as well. Uh, a Doom Doom project uh, in the vein of more or less Candlemas that I told you earlier. I'm, I'm reviving that again because I want to be more active. And uh, another thing is uh, I have a lot of stuff going on. I have a thrash uh, kind of uh, thing going on as well. And also I might uh, do some songs, maybe NEP. On the black metal stuff that I never released with the old band Tinieblas. With Tinieblas means uh, darkness in Spanish. Okay. So um, I'm working on some stuff that I have already recorded and I left that uh, somewhere. I have it. So I'm going to try to get it re recorded and I'm going to maybe throw out or release some EP. So I'm working in many, many projects. But right now, main ones. Uh, my album that's coming out in March, then Organic, and in the meantime, working with other stuff, including the call <laughs> center zombie stuff that I told you about. Wow! All right, man. So we're gonna we're, I'm gonna tell the listeners to uh, uh, keep their eyes and their ears focused on your social media uh, and watch watch Organic and watch for all that stuff. Um, I appreciate your time, man. Thank you so much. Uh, we're like I said, we're gonna encourage the listeners to go back and listen to all that stuff and keep posted for the new stuff. Um, and, and I, I guess that's it, man. Thank you so much for your time, man. We appreciate it. We thank you uh, at organic, especially me. I thank you for the time and for having me. We really appreciate it. Blessings. And it's a pleasure meeting you, man. You take care. Okay. Cheers. Likewise, brother. Thanks to Jose, 
Chewy Correa of uh, Organic. Uh, as we we explained the whole story, formerly Organic Infest and um, his upcoming uh, to be released project, uh, Correa, which sounds very exciting. Uh, very appreciate that man's time and all his stories, man. Uh, Rick, you're still with me, right, sir? Yeah, I'm still here, man. Rick, you yes. actually... I you know I, sometimes I book um yourself and the other uh, heavy hole podcast team co-hosts and we record these intros and outros and the recommendations you guys don't always know who's who the interview segment is going to be you know that's like that's a little uh, inside baseball yeah that's right that's I, right I got to yeah it's just a little behind the scenes for the for the listeners I try to I try to make you guys abreast of things sometimes but sometimes it's so fast and wild and woolly out here I got to do what I got to do and sometimes I also there's leaks I like you know sometimes I can't let it, let us let one leak like this cuz this was a hey. big one for me um always look always liked organic infest and we got it but um what I'm getting to beating around the bush here is you managed to just recommend this classic uh, beautiful death metal masterpiece, and I tried to um, to see you and alley oop you with that with with my recommendation because we're talking about classic cult albums from a certain era in the uh, in the game right now, man. So with no, no further ado, Rick, please drop your recommendation um, that I feel is absolutely on par with with uh, the classic Organic Infest album we spoke about at length earlier this evening. Well, that was a nice, happy coincidence um, yeah. <laughs> then, <laughs> and uh, I'm happy to uh, be a part of it. Yeah, it's this record here. It's uh, Cadaver in Pains. Flex. 1991. Now, quick story about this. This CD came into my possession hmm. in probably 1992, and then about a year ago, I went to my parents' house, and uh, I moved out of there over 20 years ago, so I go there, and there was a little... Uh, uh, cabinet and I opened up the drawer and it was like Pulp Fiction, like when you open up the uh, the uh, suitcase, the briefcase, and the gold. You know what I'm saying? And, <laughs> and I was like, "Holy shit, that was in there!" And Bolt Thrower for Victory, the double um, wow. double album. It was it's a limited, I guess, uh, promo. So that was there, and uh, you know, I found some amazing. It was like a holy grail of uh, death metal in that in that drawer. And uh, this album kind of was off my radar for a long time, and I gave it a spin recently again. And yeah, that shit is awesome, awesome. I yeah, I'm I'm gonna go slow here because I have a big thing for their first album, Cadaver, and I've spoke spoken about that. I allegedly may or may not own a bootleg CD of it because it's so hard to get on on vinyl, and I kind of gave up on it. Um, Never gave it. I've breezed this on YouTube, but I never gave it a proper sit down chance. I can't flex with the original '92 CD like you. '91, um, yes. 90, continue, continue. <laughs> yes, '91. Um, but yeah, this was a treat. This is something it really struck me, and it's this is like a, a an underrated kind of death metal masterpiece record because it, it belongs up there. And I almost kind of maybe maybe I'm going to regret talking about it on the show. Not that we have that much sway out there, but the thing about it, I um, it hasn't been memed, it hasn't been copied to death. Right. It has, but you know, it also you know maybe it should be hailed a little bit more because maybe that's kind of like the you know uh, complimentary you know nowadays because it's just it's a technically competent masterpiece of death metal. It builds on their classic raw first album that I enjoyed so much. Um, uh, but the composition is advanced. There's solid, tight production and performance compared to the first album. Um, it reminds me at times it's their Norwegian band in 1991 doing this, but it sounds more to me. It reminded me a little bit of like monstrosity. The first yeah, two American, 
the yeah. the first uh, two Mortification albums. If you're, I don't know if you're familiar with those, as as I I speak about them a lot. Yeah, I mean not not extremely, but yeah, I've heard them. Um, but and 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 getting straight to the point, shit. Yeah, Death's Human album yeah, came yeah, out yeah, in ninety one. Yeah, this is ninety two. I was wrong. Yes, sorry. Okay, okay, and I'm not even trying to make the point that, that like this necess- I don't know that Cadaver. Uh, uh, was totally inspired by death or anything at all, but there's just a lot of Florida vibes. Holy, the, co- the composition, holy. it's this is just it's one of those technically masterful, cynic. Um, yeah, yeah. The, the performance, the bass. If you're a fa- if you if you really mm-hmm. like to hear bass players who kind of go out on a limb and don't just follow the riff. I mean, and it's all packaged nicely the composition the songwriting is there the performance in the studio is there the production is there this is one of those death metal albums that's kind of timeless yeah i like the vocals too Mm -hmm. um Mm kind of reminded me of i don't know couldn't put my finger on them uh demolition hammer maybe or even uh cerebral fix i don't know there there was something with the voice that reminded me of something weird yeah he's he's cool man old school old school angry brutal um, yeah, there's kind of like a uh, psychotic kind of, you know, like mental psychosis kind of feel atmosphere. I don't know. To like, does that, that, well, the first album, Hallucinating Anxiety, that yeah. describes that. You know, I'm not familiar with that record. So I got to. This is the only album I know of them. And it looks like this was their last album for a while. Broke up. They formed again a couple times. I think they turned into a band called Cadaver. Some some of them did a band called Cadaver Inc. through the uh, 90s, if I'm not mistaken. That probably okay. wasn't this type of uh, metal. Um, and then I know the band came back as Cadaver and dropped an album last year, which I do want to right. cover more on the podcast because I, I did. They had a single and a video. It wasn't bad, bad material at mm. all. Um, but at the time, I was, check it out. The, 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 yeah, at the time there was just other stuff going on. So I do want to get into Cadaver and maybe reach out to them. But um, uh, yeah, th- this album, people. I, another thing that came to me: people who like pre-obscura Gore Guts, when mm-hmm. Gore Guts had a little bit more of that early '90s death metal flair. Right. When they they had, they were very inspired by Suffocation um earlier on and and they've they've talked about that too that's no secret um i'm not just inferring that that you know that's something that luke lemay has, has talked about is the the inspiration and influence of, su- of suffocation on early gore guts probably in the era predating obscura this is just that's that's what i'm putting this cadaver in pains from 1992 album uh on that pedestal with those albums so i, I don't want to disincarnate dreams of a carrying kind this is one of those albums that it's awesome. just yeah. You you can it's just listenable. There's it's kind of it's almost like flawless victory for the death metal musician's ear, you know. Yeah, so I I, I was going through my uh, my CDs here, and I said that looks like a good one to not only uh, listen to. Which, like I said, I've been listening to it for uh, it got back on my radar a few weeks ago, and I was looking through the CDs. But uh, I had recommended something earlier this morning, and, uh, um, and I was like listening to it, and I said that's a good record, but I don't think it would fit uh, what what we're talking about or the mood I'm in at this point or anything of this nature. So I switched it up at the last minute. There, I threw you a curveball and uh, gave you the cadaver in pains. I'm glad yeah. you did. I'm glad you did, and. Um, like I said, it kind of fits in with the theme of this episode, um, and some of the, the old school classic albums and, and, uh, it's 
also like I like I said, I have this thing for hallucinating anxiety to the point where I I, I didn't give this album a proper run through, and now I'm glad I did, man. This is something the fans cool. need to get a hold. Of. So before I before I run my mouth and talk it to death, uh, Tom, my good man, please bring the, the listeners a little bit of Cadaver's 1992 album In Pains. that man yeah i could i could listen to that one a few times man i got now i gotta yeah. go on discogs man um nice yeah it's a little pricey this uh i got i was also happy to look it up and see it was like 40 bucks <laughs> yeah. i i if i'm they, if this might have been reissued i i'm pretty sure they reissued some old cadaver material but just not hallucinating anxiety if i remember mm. correctly because like about a year ago or so or maybe a little bit longer when they when they dropped the most recent album they were doing they were they were doing all sorts of funny promotional business. So I, I again I got to look up, look into. Thank you for bringing Cadaver back into my um, nice bro. radar, sir, uh, and into the radar of the Heavy Hole Podcast. So moving on, um, you brought me that I had to come uh, uh, heavy with this one. It's this album that I was like, even like, should I recommend this? Has everyone heard this? But you never know. We have, you know, we're thankful for all of our listeners. There's albums. I'm very upfront about classic metal albums that people would imagine I, I probably heard and I've never heard. I'm a total poser for not having heard. This is one that goes all the way back to like 15, 14 years old me uh, listening to it when I was just discovering all this type of music. But if you haven't heard it, Terrorizer's World Downfall from 1989 earache records this is like blueprint stuff right i mean are you earache record uh, recommendations today yeah are you yeah the cadaver and pains was earache right yeah okay yeah, yeah. All, all right so yeah we're really on the same page here man because i wasn't <laughs> i wasn't sure about that cadaver for some reason i was thinking like nuclear blast or one of the road runners i don't know mm -hmm. but um but yeah okay so so we're we're really mad we're like voltron here man we got the left arm oh, yeah. and the right arm um yeah so going back uh uh three years before that cadaver and pains earache records puts out terrorizers world downfall um if you're not familiar with this well rick right off the bat before i start um uh, uh running my mouth are you familiar with this album because you're you're not like a big grindcore guy to begin with, right right yeah i mean you know but i listen to this album and you know i don't really hear I don't really hear what we, you know, it's a monumental album in, in that genre, right? But I hear more Morbid Angel, right? Mm -hmm. uh, to me, I hear a lot of Morbid Angel. I hear a lot of death metal in this uh, release. And, and but yeah, it's, uh, if you want to get, if you want to pick hairs or whatever, uh -huh. Brian Cord, uh, it's fucking sick, man. And uh, the drums are amazing. The Everything is amazing on this album. The riffs. You know, way ahead of the game, I think. The, way the, ahead of the game. It was Pete Sandoval's first record. Drum performance is just yeah. amazing, man. To, to really, to really listen to it and listen to it. Imagine what it must have been like to to watch him play it live um, uh, when he was recording. Yeah, I, I again, I'm you know not to split hairs. It's very, it's an extremely death metal. It's you know, it's right, pretty much you know, morbid Shorter angel songs. Yeah, it's morbid angel playing like grindcore right. songs. <laughs> yeah, that, that, yeah, you're you right. know, 
where I, but but um and it's produced like a death more most importantly because that was one of the points when I kind of like went back and listened to it there's all these seminal grindcore records that people always go back to most were on ear, earache records some were some weren't um you know mm-hmm. Recomputrefaction by Carcass Scum by Scum. Napalm Death um you know uh yeah. the the uh, the repulsion album um you know i'm, I'm there, you know there, there's there's a you know people are, um I don't know if you want to throw harmony corruption was my favorite uh name palm death album and this guy played you know this uh also has a a link to that album um the guitar player jesse yeah. that was his first napalm death record yeah, yeah. Uh, so I'm just making the point that compared to a lot of these other grindcore albums, especially for, like if you want to go back into when it was still the late '80s, not even the '90s yet, nothing was produced like this. You know, yeah. like like Recomputrefaction is one of my all time favorite albums, and the and the charm of it is the production, mm-hmm. um, as was the charm of of uh, uh, Organic Infest's first album that we spoke about at length earlier in in this episode. Uh, but this is like kind of like the polar opposite of that. It's kind of like the grindcore style of the time, death, but to- performed by top tier uh, pioneering death metal mm. musicians and produced like a death metal album. It's produced by Scott Burns, right? Yeah. yeah I mean, it like, yeah, just given the treatment, you know what I mean? So it's, yeah. that's a Morris sound, right? Yeah. Morris, it's a Morris sound, right? You know, you get it for that time period. Obviously that's the, the heralded uh, sacred time of that studio. So you got it. You got it coming out. Yeah. It's a, uh, yeah. Fucking unbelievable album. Uh, and you could tell like the napalm death influence a uh, little bit, but you know um, the album artwork maybe a little bit with the uh, collage, oh stuff yeah, stuff like that. Yeah. You yeah. know things like that. There, there, there's a little, and then like I said, how Jesse went and went on to to be a Napalm Death uh, for a long time there. Oh yeah, we'll yeah. Together. Yeah. I mean, I would never try to make some sort of argument that this is like the first grindcore band or the first grindcore recording, but it's like. The you know because we you know we could get into all these demos and bands that happened from back in the early eighties and and, they, and yeah of course Napalm Death and but ter- like yeah Terrorizer this album is just um again a classic man you know for for mm-hmm. for no other reason than 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 the sound they 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 captured something something really magical on this and it does have it has a lot of that Napalm Death energy and some of that Napalm Death style. Um, but again, listen to Pete Sandoval's drums, man. There were very few people playing like that back then. And this was grind, yeah. grind, I think, you know, the idea of death grind, like death slash grind, which is basically in my eyes, that's always been short death metal songs, you know, with no frills, like bands, you know, bands, that, bands, that, there's bands that play grind core and there's bands that play death grind. This was almost the beginning of death grind to me too, because it was so death metal, um, sonically, you know? It's it's just a perfect album. Yeah, I mean uh, that 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 comp- the uh, description you just gave of Death Grind it reminds me of what we did on the Ulcer Island album. You know, not to compare the two albums, but maybe stylistically, uh, as far as it was more of death metal, but still retaining a little uh, grindcore edge. Yeah, I would always claim Terrorizer as a big inspiration and influence um you know and, and just you know the yeah the idea of combining some of that death metal energy in with grindcore and you know what it is too when they did this there wasn't these clear separated barriers between death metal and and grindcore mm-hmm. it was you know like it, it was just you know extreme music they didn't call it extreme music but it was that's what it was it was just you know pushing the boundaries of extremity in music you know like the sure. punk and metal and hardcore and stuff it was kind of more of a spectrum i don't know but um 
But yeah, 89, really think about that, man. For for, for the young listeners who think I'm old, <laughs> go back go back and, and look at Terrorizer, man. Um, so yeah, that's that, man. Any any closing thoughts, man? I'm going to shut up about it. Two uh two really good albums to catch up on, I think, if uh especially if if you haven't uh listened to them in a while. Yeah, t- two solid classics, man. And um again, this is a very special episode. I've been wanting to get in touch with a member of uh Organic Infest. Um and it was it was uh, I was very fortunate to speak to Chewy tonight, uh Jose Chewy Correa, uh about organic and um uh, his work in Organic Infest in the past and all and all that sort of thing because I always considered that album their first album a, a real a real uh underrated classic of the genre and these two albums are um just two more that i would put up in that kind of like hall of fame uh person of my own record collection man so um with no further ado tom please bring them terrorizer world downfall a 1989 earache records Thank you, Tom, man. Tom and Justin always working very hard behind. You know, Justin got me the artwork that's going to go up on social media for this episode before you and I are even doing this. That's how, dude, we're on like. On top of it, man. It's like I say, man, with Heavy Hole Podcast, man, we appreciate the feedback we get from people and all the listenership. I got a team here. You don't necessarily hear everyone else's voice because I just crowd the mic and talk it up. But I got a big team here and they're always helping me, man, night and day. Um, appreciate everybody behind the scenes. That's to Sam and Dave and Terrell, um, uh, and of course Justin and Tom, like I said. But Rick, um, I, I think that's about it, man. We brought him enough classic recommendations for one night. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. We had a, a, a legacy. Let them sleep on that. Let them sleep on that. Yeah, sleep on that legacy. OG uh, first guest from uh, Puerto Rico um, that I can recall at this point. Um, uh, that that that's about it. We're gonna wrap it up. I got a few shows uh, before we, before we blink out. You can always go to um, nycmetalshows.com. Uh, Big shout to Matt and look up all those uh, metal shows in the tri-state area and beyond. Couple I wanted to talk about real quick. Um, coming up the third of March at Amityville Musical. You can catch Mortician, Afterbirth, Thetis, and Bowel Erosion. The whole crew's in the house. Um, really excited to be part of that event. That's gonna be a good one. That's gonna be a blowout. Coming right back in. Um uh that yeah, that's <laughs> we the last time you like I said, the last time you brought up Sal, we had to cut it for Patreon. We had to do it just it's now. We got a little idea. yeah, we got a little I, I didn't know Rick had a mortician story, but it, it'll be on Patreon in, in a little bit. <laughs> we just got we gotta get Tom to chop it up real quick. Thank you, Tom. Uh moving forward. Um uh three uh fifteen um uh Wednesday. Uh you got the documentary screening um and Q and A session with John McKenty of Incantation and Zach 
from Imperial Triumphant. Uh, I'm going to be there. Um, it's a Noise Dosage Media hosted event. We had John Lambert from Noise Dosage Media on a few weeks ago. You can check out the whole episode about his documentary. He did a, a vast and expansive documentary with many guests on uh, underground death metal. You can go check that out. Um, look for Noise Dosage Media on YouTube. Uh, John's going to be um, hosting this event. Uh, Heavy Hole Podcast will be there. I'll be there kind of kind of hosting and trying to mediate, and we're going to do some audience Q&A stuff myself, Zach from Imperial Triumphant, and John McKenty of Incantation. And uh, there's gonna they're going to be doing a screening of this documentary at about the intermission point or intermittently throughout the, 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 the night, however it works out. We'll be doing kind of live Q&A with all of us there. That's the 15th of March on a Wednesday at St. Vitus Bar. It's $20 at the door, all the money going to a local charity, um, feeding people in need. Moving forward, we got the 23rd of April. That's a Sunday, Exsanguinated and Not One Truth and Malibolgia and several other bands at the old Amityville Music Hall there. That's going to be at 6.30 p.m. on a Sunday, 4.23, uh, Exsanguinated. I'm looking forward to that one. The 429, Saturday, uh, it's going to be Extinction AD, Tombstoner, uh, Reeking Aura. We're just happy to be there. I just want to be yeah, there. We'll, yeah, we'll show up. <laughs> yeah, I'll be there. Uh, Amityville Music Hall again. Um, Amityville Music Hall showing us love. We appreciate it. Um, going through my notebook here. No, I'm not talking about that one. One of my bands is rec- well. I, I'm going to say this. Afterbirth is recording our new album coming up too this spring. Yeah. Uh, looking forward to that one. Um, you might be able to catch a new song or two at that um, March the third show at, at, at uh, uh, Amityville Music Hall. There. Gonna be. A, I'm going to be at AMH a lot coming up, man. I like. It's, it's nice and close. The Oh, we can't announce that one. I'm going to say this, Rick. Mm-hmm. I think it's possible Reeking Aura is going to play a show with Torturous Inception. I'm not yeah, going to. Yeah, I, uh, I think that might be in the old crystal ball. We finally got that uh, together after, uh, after some time. I was talking to Dustin the other day. I was talking to Devin the other day. You know, mm-hmm. Exsanguinated opened up for Torturous Inception the other day. I saw those boys, nice guys. Talked to Tom. Talk to Tyler, and they told me a little thing. I heard. I heard about a guy, the guy in the Brooklyn guy that does yeah, that yeah, does yeah. Puts, yeah. puts together the but, things. We're gonna see what happens. At a good place, at a nice place that yeah, we like. I like it. Um, everything's gonna get legitimized, and then we'll talk about it. So moving forward, um, yeah, you're gonna see. All we're gonna say is you're gonna see a little bit more of Reeking Aura coming up this year. Hopefully, we got things going on behind the scenes. All right, keep buying the merch. Thank you. The uh, oh, June, I can't talk about. I got my little notebook here, man, Rick. This is I write all the the, the reeking or merch sit down in this and on all my shows and everything. Yeah, look at this. Old this school, beautiful. old school uh, notebooks. Yeah, Rick can verify this. Hey. Look, I don't. Yeah, I don't oh, have. A, I don't, don't even fuck have a, around. I don't have a smartphone. I'm I'm an idiot. Um, all right, that's can't talk about that. Can't, all right, so we're not talking about none, nothing else then. Um, and we also, yeah, we we're we're going a little bit over the clock here. I think, man, we gave you enough tonight, heavy hole listeners. Thank you so much. If you want a little bit more, like we said, heavy hole podcast on the old Patreon. Um, catch us on your favorite social medias. Thank you to Tom and Justin as always for your hard work behind the scenes and production. They are still with us in spirit, if not in uh, vocal delivery of death metal recommendations and jokes on a weekly basis. Man, stay tuned. And um, thank you, of course, to our guest tonight uh jose chewy correa of organic uh formerly known as organic infest and correa don't forget to look for his new project dropping soon under his uh last name correa man we appreciate that gentleman's time and his story and all the music he's given us over the years man um uh excellent guest man really good talking to that guy and rick thank you so much for your time as co-host this evening 
Hey, no problem, man. Good to see you again. Good to talk to everybody. I salute. Yeah, I, I salute. I got. Can I? If I do that with water, did I just disrespect your family? That's what I did. I did oh, it with water. Oh you know my what God. I mean? Let's, we'll edit, what am I gonna do? We'll edit that out. We did that with with. Yeah, uh, we did that with uh, hard liquor. Warsteiner beer. We did that yeah. with. Yeah. Tasted great. Yeah, all right, moving forward, man. Thank you to everybody, man. We appreciate you, man. And uh, I'm gonna yeah, I'm gonna go to the cooler and get another cold one. Yeah, man. Me too, bro. Maybe I'll maybe I'll look at the football schedule pinned to the uh pinned to the refrigerator. Yeah, I got a uh, yeah, I, I got another cold one too. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, <laughs>